You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics while taking Christian truth into the arena of ideas. <clears throat> this is the Bellator Christie Podcast, and this is your host, Brian Chilton. We thank you for joining us today. We hope you're doing well wherever you may be. And uh, we have a uh, an interesting podcast today. It's not going to be a very long podcast. We do have a clip from Matt Slick, uh, who is... Uh, said some things recent times against Molinism and against mental knowledge. Uh, we have a clip, uh, and um, listening in totality, I, I thought that Matt Slick had said something against free will that was very concerning, but he's, he seems to explain himself quite well towards the end of the podcast. But we want to evaluate a segment of his radio show, Matt Slick Live. Of course, if you don't know Matt Slick, he is the founder and uh, operator of CARM, Christian Apologetics Research Ministry, and has had uh, uh, quite a few words to say regarding free will. He is, a, a, I think you would call, a strong Calvinist. But I do think that, in a way, his his words were... were uh, uh, I think he redeems himself in this clip that I'm going to play towards the end, but I want to let you listen to his words concerning election, predestination. And uh, we, we want to take a look at this from a... Uh, about the... In, in regards to the strength of middle knowledge, now Matt has some issues with middle knowledge, but I think his explanation, the explanation he gives pertaining to election, pertaining to uh, that in regards to human freedom and the free agency of humanity, actually fits the Molinist paradigm or congruist, which is a subset of Molinism as well. Uh, so we're going to take a take a look at uh, take a listen to his words on election in a few moments, and I want to give a few uh, explanations as to why I hold to the Molinist position as being a good a, a good a good solution to to this conundrum we find in Scripture of God's sovereignty and human freedom, human agency. And we'll, so we'll take a look at that in a few moments. We do want to remind you that the Bellator Christie podcast is a production of bellatorchristie.com, and I encourage you to go to the website, and while you're there, be sure to click subscribe. And in so doing, you'll uh, receive all of the articles and the podcasts in your inbox for free. So we do encourage you to take advantage of that. We, you can take us uh, with you on the go. Of course, we're at uh, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, as well as Google Play. 
All right, we're going to go ahead and play this clip from Matt Slick, let you take a listen to this, and then uh, at the end of it, I'm going to come back and uh, give some reasons why I think middle knowledge is a, is a good explanation to, to uh, provide the reasons for um, a solution between God's sovereignty and human freedom. Let's go to Matt Slick right now and listen to his comments presented, first aired on his podcast at uh, the CARM Christian Apologetics Research Ministry as aired also live on Matt Slick Live. This doesn't happen very often. We have nobody waiting uh, on the phone. So what I'll do is turn to, we have uh, live chat on YouTube, but we also have it on Facebook. And people sometimes ask questions, as someone did. It's regarding predestination. What view should we hold as a Christian regarding this, as so many of our uh, sects uh, differ on this? Um, You should hold the biblical position. That's what you should do. Well, what is the biblical position? Now, there are a lot of groups within Christianity that do not like the doctrine of predestination. Well, what is predestination defined as? It's um, God's foreordaining and bringing things to ba- uh, into existence and to bear in what he desires and what he wants. So one of the things I'll ask people, is, do they believe in predestination? Christians, I'll ask them, and they'll say, no, they don't. And I'll say, but the Bible talks about it in Acts 4.28, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Or Romans 8.29, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Or 1 Corinthians 2.7, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Ephesians 1.5, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. Ephesians 1.11, also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose. So is predestination biblical? Yeah, it is. It's right there. I mean, I've talked to so many Christians who just reject the doctrine of predestination and election. And this is a very serious uh, concern because, well, let me illustrate this. Once I was uh, teaching in San Diego, and I was at a Baptist church, and I was in the basement. I remember they had a basement area that was converted to a really nice teaching area. It was really nice. And the elders of the church asked me to come in and teach on the cults and equip their, their people uh, in the church on how to uh, to witness to the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. And I said, sure, no problem. And so I was witnessing there. It was like a two-hour session. I was teaching them basics and things like that. And I said, here's another approach. And I said, since we all believe the Bible, we all, all believe that the Bible is the Word of God, I said, one of the things you can do is talk to them about the doctrine of predestination. Because I'm going to tell you, folks, All cults, all of them, hate and deny the doctrine of predestination. They do. They hate it. They don't want it. And so I know that's a fact. And what I did was I just mentioned it as, you know, I said, whether you believe it or not, uh, to what extent uh, it's a doctrine, you know, and we could talk about it. But um, it was really interesting because the group immediately started attacking me. And I mean very much. They started saying that I was teaching false doctrine. And I quoted them the verses where it was uh, taught. I said, but it says it right here. And I quote the verse. And they said, we don't want to hear your your, uh, your false teachings. Now, what happened eventually was that I had to, I still remember this, I had to pack up and leave mid-study. And it walked out because I didn't feel safe in a Baptist church with a bunch of Christians who were yelling at me about why the doctrine of predestination is ungodly, unbiblical, and bad, and of the devil. And yet, I quoted the scriptures to them where it states it.
This is really interesting because this is my first real introduction to the hostility that some Christians have about that doctrine. And this hostility is sinful. And the reason it's sinful is because the Bible teaches predestination. I know people don't like it. Well, I don't care. Now, if you want, I can, you know, here, I can list out the scriptures. There are five of them that mention predestination, the Greek word proridzo. And you, you can write them down and go get a highlighter and just cross them out of your Bible if you don't like it. Because if you're going to judge the Word of God and the truth of the Word of God based on what you want, what you feel, what your church has taught you, what your tradition is, whatever you think has to be true and fair. If that's what you want to do, well, you might as well go join the Roman Catholic Church, the Mormon Church, the Jehovah's Witness Church, and uh, just get you know, fed whatever makes you feel good. And this is how I talk to people. And I do so because it's true. You see, if the Bible teaches it, we need to believe it. Now, I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to read out of the NASB and, and just read the scriptures and see. The, let's let the scriptures teach us. Here's my question. Would God ever predestine anyone to do something sinful? Would God ever predestine anybody to do something sinful? What do you say? Now, if I were in a church and 100 people were sitting there and I said, let me see your hands, those who say yes. And, you know, just see how many hands go up. How many would, raise, would you know, show your hands say no? And the hands would go up. How many are afraid to raise their hands? And, you know, and they chuckle and the hands go up. And I say, okay, let's just read, because would God ever predestine anybody to do something sinful? For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And notice what it says. Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the peoples of Israel, they're the ones who killed Jesus. They're the ones who acted sinfully. So let me read this again. Whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, now Jesus is the one who's anointed, uh, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your purpose and predest uh, purpose predestined to occur. The purpose was that Jesus was crucified. But in order for that to happen, people had to break law. They had to break biblical law and murder an innocent man. But God predestined this to occur. Now, this is a really serious teaching. Did he predestine them to do this? Yes. Did he cause them to do it? No. Some people make the mistake of thinking that the doctrine of predestination means it's causation. Nope. God can certainly move the hand of the person where he wishes it to go. He can do whatever he desires. He's sovereign. But predestination is the teaching that God has from, from forever ago determined whatever will come to pass. Now we could say that he does it actively and passively by controlling and then Molinists get in and all kinds of doctrines. Uh, this is really a serious topic, but all kinds of doctrines get, get um, promoted. But you see, the thing is, what does the Bible say? Now let me ask you a question. Let, let's just say you're driving along, you're listening to me talk. Uh, maybe you're listening to a podcast later, maybe you're home, whatever. And I'm reading this stuff to you and you don't like it. And you're saying, man, I don't, I don't like it. Well, okay. You don't have to like it. But it's true because it's in the Bible. So here's a question. If you don't like it, why? Okay, so... Um Bear with me just a second. Sorry. 
so so Matt brings up some interesting you know an interesting um, explanation uh, or description of election and and I, I say t- to his his effect that uh, that he is right and wrong. I think the, the issue he faced with that church in San Diego probably stemmed, and I don't know, I wasn't there, but it probably stemmed on a focus on election without the importance of emphasizing human responsibility. He is right in the fact that uh, pro-orizo is found in Scripture, but pro-orizo means a a, a pre-ordination of future things. Uh, to set certain things in order. Now, he does make a good description in, in talking about that God is not the cause of evil things. The Bible clearly teaches that when we are tempted, let it, none of us say that we are tempted of God. I think James is the one who mentions that in Scripture. Uh, we, we also, but we also find that, uh, uh, that, that, that pro-orizo is sometimes used with the term prog- uh, prognosco, which means to foresee. Now, it may be something to foreknow, something that is ordained. It may be to foreknow some type of future event. But uh, we see in Scripture, those who he foreknew, he also predestined. Okay, so those two words are used in unison. Now, this doesn't mean that God is held captive to what free agents would do or will do. But, but this all, in fact, flows from the very persona of God. And this is why I think middle knowledge is a good answer. For us to deny human freedom, I don't think, I, th- I thought I had heard him say, and, and I, was, I guess I was mistaken in this, but I had thought I had heard him say one time before that the emphasis of free will is heretical. And I don't think, if, I, I can't prove that, I was looking, listening for that clip and I didn't find that. Uh, that's what stemmed my research into this, and I don't know that he necess- uh, I don't know that he necessarily said that, but it seems like on one of his podcasts, I heard him say something of that nature. But again, I may be wrong; I may have misunderstood him. But I think what the problem is when people emphasize election, that they fail to emphasize human moral freedom. I think Ravi Zachariah said it best that the Bible teaches both two things that God is sovereign and humans are responsible for their actions. If we have a biblical theology that does not hold to those two doctrines, then we are outside the perimeters of biblical orthodoxy. So I want to give a couple of reasons why we should agree with uh, with with free agency, and that is with, with human free will, if you want to call it that. First of all, Thomas Aquinas in the Summa Theologica, uh, this is uh, 1.83.1, says this, Man has free will. Otherwise, counsels, exhortations, commands, prohibitions, rewards, and punishments would be in vain. And I think he's right. Uh, I think that, uh, that, that the whole moral order that God gives us would make little sense if we did not have the ability or the capacity to do otherwise. For instance, you take a look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he gives a whole list, laundry list, of things we could, we should do. In fact, even saying uh, in certain portions of his teachings that we'll be held accountable uh, for even the words we speak. Uh, which is which is evident, you know, as as well. So you know that's something to consider. Um, so 
that would not make sense if if we didn't have the ability to listen to God, if we didn't have the ability to choose one way or the other. So I think I've, I've listed down, I think, five reasons why I think human freedom is, is evident in Scripture. This is not to say that human beings save themselves. This isn't to say that, predestined, that uh, the doctrine of election is unbiblical, because it is. But I think that this has to be taken along with human moral agency. And I don't know the circumstances that happened with him in the San, at the church in San Diego, but I about imagine if you teach one without the other, uh, I, I wonder if he taught one without the other. And what I'm trying to say is if you teach one without the other, then you have a very unbalanced system. I mean, even in the clip, we hear Matt Slick say that, uh, talk about, you know, uh, that even though things were predestined, he didn't cause people to do the things that, that they do. That's why you need something like middle knowledge to answer the issue, to balance the issue between sovereignty and freedom. I don't think it's either God's sovereignty or human freedom. I think it's both. And I think that you have to have a system that handles both of these situations, both of these biblical, clear, clearly biblical teachings, in order to be able to come out with some type of solution. Ultimately, in the end, it's found in the mind of God. So, let me take a look at five things. Number one, free will is evident in moral commands. As we mentioned already, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is a clear evidence of this. Um, uh, the, the fact that uh, he, he tells us to be salt and light, uh, that he tells us these things, it would make very little sense for Jesus to give a message like that if we weren't able to listen to be the salt and light as it is presented. Number two, free will is necessary to respond to conditional promises. Conditional promises. Uh, for instance, uh, let's take a look very quickly here at a passage of Scripture I'm going to read this from the CSB, one of my favorite uh, new translations out on the market. I do encourage you to go and get your copy today. For instance, Romans 10.9. We know this as a, as a gospel, really like John 3.16. This is kind of like a gospel in a nutshell, if you will. But listen to this. This is a conditional statement that Paul provides. If, now there, there's a big clue to it being a conditional statement. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. And, okay, we have an if-and situation. If, that's part of the antecedent, you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. And, another part of the antecedent, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Then, here's the consequent, you will be saved. That means that the opposite of that is also true, that if you don't confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you don't believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you won't be saved. So this promise makes very little sense if we don't have the ability to listen to the Holy Spirit. It makes very little sense if we don't have some human agency to be able to respond to the free will offering of God's grace given to us. We also see another reason. The free will is evident in man's rebellion. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 15 through 19, for instance, uh, the writer of Hebrews is talking about the people in Israel, uh, the Hebrews in the wilderness, and he says, as it is written, and he is quoting here from uh, Psalm 95, 7 and 8, Today, if you hear my voice, here's another conditional statement, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That's a free moral agent responding in a certain fashion. 
people heard the voice of God, they heard the they, they felt the grace of God, but they hardened their hearts in response to the free will of grace offered to them. For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses, with whom was God angry for forty years? Wasn't it with those who had sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest if, there again a conditional statement, not to those who disobeyed? For we see that they were unable to enter because, why? Of unbelief the personal decision they had of unbelief. Now, did God foreknow that this was going to happen? Yes. Could you even say that God foreordained this, that this would happen, that this consequence would happen? Did God know willingly and completely the actions that the individuals had? Absolutely. But how does that happen? It comes by, I think, some form of, of uh, simple foreknowledge is one th- reason, and I think a middle knowledge is another this the answer I think to these conditional statements and God's knowledge of those conditional statements um, or the conditional responses of the individuals to the conditional promises given to individuals. Free will is also evident in man's quenching and listening to the Holy Spirit. First Thessalonians five nineteen, Paul says, "Don't quench the spirit or stifle the spirit." Now, if you can stifle the Spirit, then you can also listen to the Holy Spirit, as is evident in the life of Philip, who listened to the Spirit of God, who, who was, and who was used to do great things, ministering to the Ethiopian eunuch, and was carried away to Azotus, and, uh, or Ashdod, depending on how you translate it, and uh, was ministered to many individuals in Caesarea. Okay, So why did that happen? Because he listened and was empowered to the Holy Spirit, was God sovereign in the process? Absolutely. But we also find that there was a human response. And in another, another reason, another thing we see is that human freedom is evident for there to be a judgment at all. Um, um, Christian, you know, obviously, unbelievers chose to rebel against Christ. Okay, and so they are judged at the great white throne judgment. But Christians also have a form of judgment. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul writes that we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That would make very little sense if we did not have the agency or the ability to choose to follow God or to rebel from God. Now, this doesn't mean that God is not the prime mover, that he is not the one who saves. Of course he is. I think there's some confusion over the issue of Pelagianism and semi-Pelagianism. I think that's that's part of the problem. Pelagianism, the, the sins of Pelagianism and semi-Pelagianism stem from the fact that Pelagius did not think that a person needed Christ, that they could just live a moral life and because following in the example of Jesus, and then that it would be saved. That was the sin. That was the heresy of it. Not that people respond to the grace of God, but that they could save themselves. We can't save ourselves, for it's by grace we're saved through faith that not of ourselves is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Okay? But we do respond to the, the moving of the Holy Spirit in our lives, as we have the conditional promises given in Romans 10.9 and many others uh, throughout Scripture as well. So what I would try to say is I think that middle knowledge is a good reason, is a good way to explain how this comes. Now, there are some people who claim 
that uh, middle knowledge makes salvation a work-based salvation or that God just simply foreknows what people are going to do. But it's, but it's deeper than that. It is, it is a lot deeper than that. For instance, we see in uh, Louis de Milena's, um, we see in his uh, Concordia, let's see if I can find this passage, this passage in his book. Um, it's in the 49th Disputation. And looking it up here, give me just a second here. In 49th Disputation, he gives some proofs. And I want to read these four proofs very briefly. It's clear from sacred scripture that the supreme God has certain cognition of some future contingents that depend on human free choice, but that neither have existed nor ever will exist in reality, and that hence do not exist in eternity either. Therefore, it is not simple because it is not simply because future contingents exist outside their causes in eternity that God knows them with certainty. Okay, God knows. In other words. The, the factuals, the decisions that are made, and the counterfactuals, those decisions uh, that, that aren't made. Though, through his natural knowledge, or middle knowledge, God com- comprehends himself, and in himself he comprehends all the things that exist eminently in him, and thus the free choice of all creatures whom he is able to make through his omnipotence. God knows every person thoroughly and completely. He even knows future decisions made by individuals. Third proof, God does not get his knowledge from things, but knows all things in himself, from himself. Therefore, the existence of all things, whether in time or eternity, contributes nothing to God's knowledge with certainty. What is going to be or not to be, God just simply knows. And the fourth proof is, is... that in God there is providence and predestination with regard to future contingents. Okay, so the point is, it's simply this. I think middle knowledge is a great answer, whether you're a congruist, a Molinist, or whatever the case may be, or if you're a Thomist with, with, with the openness to middle knowledge, whatever the case may be. The fact is that I think that, we, that middle knowledge is not a heresy. It is not something that is way off, uh, way off in left field. Rather, I think it's something that is, as Molina saw, and let me just say I don't agree with everything Molina teaches, but I'm, I'm just I'm trying to say this. I think that is a good, excuse my cat over here, he's meowing, but I think it's a good balance, I think it's a good way to see the balance we find in Scripture of God's sovereignty and human freedom as both realities and this, this wisdom of God coming from within himself, not because of external factors, but the knowledge that he possesses of all of time, all events, all of people, and everything in between. That's why I think we need something like this uh, to, to explain how God knows what free creatures will do. Now, maybe there's another explanation out there that is better than middle knowledge, but from what I can tell, as far as I go in my theological studies, I think this is the best thing going to explain how these two truths cooperate together. And if nothing else, this shows that this is not a contradiction in Scripture, that it can work together, and in fact, I think it does work together in harmony. We thank you for joining us today on the podcast. We'll see you back next week. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast. This is Brian Chilton. God bless. The views 
expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Michaela Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. When I first wrote Evidence That Demands a Verdict, truth wasn't so much an issue as what is truth, can you know truth, but now it is. Some of the issues are different because of the internet, like the claim that Jesus doesn't even exist. Are there other Gospels that should have been in the Bible? Is Christianity just a copycat religion? So when we updated this, because I hear it from students so often, I thought we have to have the single best chapter that responds to this claim, and I think we do. We had to rewrite Evidence Demands a Verdict because there's so much new evidence out there. It's like one Greek scholar said, the evidence now for the scriptures is like a tsunami, an avalanche that is hitting, and we want you to be aware of that. We want every young person, every student, every pastor, every professor to be aware of the new evidence out there. To understand not just what they believe, but why they believe it. Evidence that demands a verdict. On sale everywhere October 3rd, 2017. Go to hashtag true evidence. for people from all around this great nation who believe this is a great nation. We're looking for the best and the brightest and people who believe in goodness and honesty and liberty. If we've just described you, enroll in Liberty University. Online, we've been doing it as long as anyone. Our campus, just beautiful. If you believe in liberty, know that liberty believes in you. Liberty University online or on campus. To find out more, go to liberty.edu or call 855-466-9220.